The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 104.5 FM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and 107.7 FM HD 2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And lots of stuff going on, as always, in technology. Uh, I'm going to go over the uh, most downloaded apps to the iPhone in 2020. And there was a little change in the lineup this year. We'll talk about why. And there's a huge scam going on now. People are getting phone calls from Apple and Amazon. And if they follow through on those phone calls, bad things happen. I became aware of this because my neighbor got hooked up in that scam. And secure border gateway protocol security is coming. That's the major routing protocol of the internet. And I'm going to explain how, what they're doing to fix it. And I'll also explain what's called BGP hijacking. It's one of the big problems that we've got on the internet. And we got a group of folks about ready to fix it. And guess what? What? Silicon Valley seems to be disintegrating. Hewlett Packard, the company that started Silicon Valley, moving to Texas. Huh. Why? Why? High taxes in California. And and the environment is not so good anymore. This sounds like a country song. I moved to Texas for taxes. That's right. There you go. That is that that would be the perfect song. And uh, so they're going down to the old uh, the actually they there's a part in uh, in Austin they call it Silicon Hills because all these Silicon Valley companies are moving there. We'll talk about that and what's going on there. And this week we're going to feature Tony Shea. He's the uh, co-founder of uh, Zappos and also of Linked Exchange. He was an extraordinary tech leader, and he died over the Thanksgiving uh, holidays. Tragic. Sorry to say, and I yeah. want to celebrate his life. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Oh, look who make it bad, made it back from Thanksgiving. Yeah, he did a very good job here. Yeah. We got an email from Kara in Washington. Dear Tech Talk, I created a Facebook page for a friend, and now it's taking way too much time. I'm ready to move on. I'd like to hand over control of that page to him. How do I transfer the rights to the Facebook page and, and get out of this whole thing? Well, uh, Kara, it's quite easy to transfer control of the Facebook page. What you want to do, you have to first, uh, you, you basically, um, you, want, you need to ask the user you want to transfer the page to to like the page so you can, you can find their name. Then you log on to the Facebook page with your account. Now, remember, your account must have administrative privileges. And then when the page displays, plays on the screen, click the settings link in the top right portion of the page, and then a little pop-out menu comes out, and you click page roles. 
type the name of the user you want to transfer control of the page to and assign them the role of um, admin. What you do, you, you assign an editor role, and then under the word editor, you can select admin from the drop-down box, and then you can add the button, click the add button. So that person will be added as admin to the web page. And, um, and you can add any other people as admin to the web page. Now, here's the caveat. They have the same rights as you. So they could delete you, and then they control it, and you couldn't get back in. So a number, uh, but in this case, you want to be deleted. So in, you could simply now just simply delete yourself as admin, and then you could unlike the page, and, and all, uh, all connection with the page is lost. But for those of you that simply want to share work on a Facebook page, uh, but you still want to keep control, I would recommend you select a page role for the people you want to share with that is more specific of what they do. Let them edit posts. Let them do specific things, but don't give them the admin rights because they could delete you. And I've seen many cases where that's happened. The, the original founder of the page got deleted and they couldn't get back and there's no way to get back. Now we got an email from Alex in Richmond. Dear Doc and Jim, I replaced my laptop hard drive with a solid state drive. You've been saying how great it is. Well, I've got to say it did speed up my laptop. My laptop boots up faster. Programs load quickly. I love the speed of the laptop. Now, with my old hard drive, I always used to do disk frag, defrag. I defrag the disk, and uh, and I was reading somewhere that solid state hard drives don't need defragging. What's the what's the truth on that? Well, uh, let me explain it. Let me explain what defrag is. Uh, when uh, when computers store information on a hard drive, they put the the files wherever there's space. So the file may be scattered all over the hard drive. And then if they delete the file, they go in and they delete the, the information from all those different areas where that file was, was, uh, you know, was saved. Over time, you've got this checkerboard pattern where files are scattered all over the place. And on the original hard drive with where the disk is spinning, if you've got to go get a piece of the file here and then you've got to move the the header to get a piece of the file over here, move the header to get a piece of the file over here, move it to get over here. It, it's a very slow load. And so what people would do with the old magnetic hard drives, they would defragment it in other words, they would take and they would uh, move all the file segments around and they would consolidate all the files so they were one contiguous block. That way the file would load quickly. And, and I would typically on my, on my uh, old uh, magnetic hard drives, I would typically defrag, uh, you know, a couple times a year, and, and, it, and it would maintain the speed. Now, here's the thing with a solid-state hard drive. You still have that checkerboard pattern. However, there are no moving parts. So the solid-state hard drive can grab a section from this point and that point and that point and that point, and there's, there's, there's no perceptible delay. It's practically instant. So there's no actual disadvantage of having a segmented file that you're pulling off the hard drive. So you really don't have to, to defragment a hard drive, a, a solid state hard drive. Now, there is a disadvantage of defragmentation because hard drives only have so many storage functions. You know, you store and erase, store and erase, store and erase, and there's a limited number of cycles that the solid state hard drive can do. 
And so if you're constantly defragging your hard drive, every time you move these files around, you're storing, erasing, storing, erasing, storing, erasing. And that actually reduces the lifetime of the solid-state hard drive. So defragging a solid-state hard drive is a disadvantage because it lowers the lifetime. So now you've got a solid-state hard drive, you can just forget about defragmentation. It's one more thing to just check off your list that you don't have to worry about. We got an email from Jim in Bowie. Dear Tech Talk, <clears throat> I have two programs that are needed for my digital ham radio setup. And I keep them running all the time in order to ensure that my station is always on the air. Occasionally, the Windows 10 system installs an update and reboots when I'm not at home. That brings down the station, forces me to go back home, load the two programs. Is there any Now, is there any way that I can load these programs automatically? I've got one caveat. One program has to load first. And then I have to wait until that is fully loaded, and that might take a minute or two before I load the second program. What are my options? Well, Jim, you can add these programs to the start menu. And, uh, and you can just simply, you, you basically, to add it, and if you add them to the start, to, to the startup menu, they'll start up automatically. So I'll tell you how to do that, and then I'll tell you how to get a delay. Now, if you want to add it to the startup menu, you basically click the start button. You find the app that you want to run at startup, right-click on that app, and then select more, and then select open file location, and this opens the location where the shortcut to the app is saved. With that file location open, press the Windows logo key and plus R, and, and that will bring up the shell startup, and then click OK, and that gives you the startup folder. Now what you do, you simply copy and paste that shortcut into the startup folder, and you're good to go. So any, so the link to any file that you want to open at startup is stored in the startup folder. So basically, you're finding what the link is to that, to that particular file. You're copying that link, and you're pasting it in the startup folder. That's all we have to do. And it will actually load those in the order that they're in the startup folder. Now, the problem is you can't control the, uh, the delay. And, they, and there's a small delay between each file, but not much. And so that probably won't solve your problem. Now, there used to be a great program called Wind Patrol. That's what I used. And I was going to recommend, by the way, that you use Wind Patrol for this delay function. But I went, uh, you know, I did a little research before, uh, before responding. And I discovered that in October of 2020, Wind, wind control patrol is no longer available. It's on my computer, but you can't. But people, anybody else can't download it. It turns out that there was just one guy maintaining it. He hadn't updated it since 2017, and there were a lot of security issues with Wind Patrol because it never had any security updates. So rather than fix it, he just decided to take it off the line. So now your only option, Jim, is to use a batch file, and that's a script file and that will uh, and and you can use only you have to use two commands one command is timeout which basically introduces a delay and the other command is start and so you simply use the start command and put in the uh, the, the path to the file that you want to start and then if you want to wait say five minutes uh, you can put follow that with the timeout um, timeout key and you know you, you can put in five minutes you put in Actually, the timeout key is in seconds, so five minutes would be 
you know, five times 60 seconds and you put that in and then you put in the next program. And then what you do, you don't put the programs you're starting in the start directory, the startup directory, you put the name of the batch file. So you might, you know, you might name the batch file startup order dot bat and you save that. And then you basically put startup order dot bat in the startup menu. Windows starts that batch file and runs the script. Now it's too complex. Now I gave a sample script in the, uh, in the, um, in the show outline, I'm not going to go on it over the air. It's just too complicated. So when I post the show outline on Monday, you can, you can go to the show outline and I'll have a sample script and you can basically just paste in the links that are specific to your machine and you'll be good to go. And that's unfortunately the only workaround that I have for the delay between loading the programs. Hmm. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc and Jim, and the lurking Mr. Big Voice. Lurking. Definitely lurking. lurking. Yes. <laughs> I noticed that LED screens and something called mini LED screens are rumored to be coming to the iPad Pro next year. What's the difference? Will the mini LED offer the same quality as organic LED, OLED? And what are the micro LED screens? Uh, now, mini LED is somehow a new technology that's supposed to be as good as organic LED, but I'm telling you, it uh, it's really confusing to me. Oh, <laughs> he added one more thing. I want to express my deep appreciation to Jim for his efforts on the best of shows, which are still interesting enough that I love to listen to them, even though I might have heard parts of them before. <laughs> that's very nice. Well, Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, love the show. Your faithful listener, Bob in Maryland. Well, uh, we, we're not going to see the traditional screen technologies going anywhere soon. Like we got the liquid crystal display, we got the organic LED uh, displays, and they're uh, and they're 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 going to be in production. But now they have two other technologies: mini LED and micro LED. Now, I'm going to have to explain how all these things work because it's. The names are all marketing hype, and they want to actually confuse you because they don't want you to know exactly what's going on, so they come up with a new name. Now, despite the similar name, uh, mini-LED and micro-LED are, are, very, are very much uh, different. Okay, here's what the mini-LED is. The mini-LED advances traditional LCD technology in order to deliver a wider contrast ratio. Now, what LED screens are really liquid crystal displays with an LED backlight. <laughs> I mean, they shouldn't be called LEDs. They're basically liquid crystal displays with an LED backlight. The liquid crystal display, you change, you, you, you change the, uh, the voltages on it and you get different colors and you can, and, and you basically will see different things coming through from the backlit screen as you modulate the liquid crystal display. Now, the problem with liquid crystal displays is that they don't 100% turn off. Even when they're totally black, some light gets through, and, and that means you've got less dynamic range. So what they did in the mini LED displays, they basically made the backlit screen so that it had smaller segments and they could turn off some of those segments. Instead of having it all as a uniform LED display, 
if there's an area where there's black, they just sort of turn the screen down in that area. So the L they, they turn the LED down in there. And so less comes through because the LED is turned down behind the black areas. Now the, uh, the, the resolution, I mean, the, the, the pixel size on the LED display is much larger than the overall pixel size, but this does, it is a very cheap way to work around some of the limitations of LED. So they call that the mini LED display. And that's kind of just a incremental improvement over the traditional LED display. Now the micro LED display is completely different it actually doesn't have a backlit screen. It's got tiny, non-organic LEDs. It actually has light-emitting light dots, tiny ones. It's got a red one, a blue one, and a green one at each pixel. And, uh, and, they, uh, and so each pixel requires three LEDs of different colors, and they, they can adjust those. So those are really micro-LEDs, and those are, are the amazing. Those actually are an LED display. Now... The advantage of the micro LED display is that it's not organic, so it has a much longer lifetime. The organic LEDs tend to die over time, and their lifetime is less than the inorganic display. So the micro LED has a great lifetime, but it's very complicated because you need three pixel, three LEDs at every pixel, and it's expensive. And it's, uh, and it, but in the end if they can get the processing down it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite good so the micro led is actually an led the mini led is actually a liquid crystal display with a modulated backlight and both of those technologies are an improvement over what we currently have uh thanks for that email bob and sorry for such a complicated question listen a complicated answer listen we love 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 your emails we do indeed email us at tech talk at stratford.edu, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. You are listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM, and now southwest of Washington, you can hear us on 107.7 FM HD2. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Tony Shea. His last name is spelled H-S-E-I-H. Tony Shea. He's an internet, internet entrepreneur, venture capitalist, best known for creating Zappos, the online shoe retailer, and co-founding Link Exchange. Tony Shea was born December 12, 1976 in Urbana, Illinois. His family moved to California when he was five, and he grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, his parents, as all, you know, all parents do, they wanted him to have good grades. They wanted him to play several instruments. And of course, they wanted him to get a PhD. So, they forced him to take music lessons and play instruments, and he hated it. Yeah, and it didn't work out. And it, we've, it we've obtained exclusive— work. So what he would do, uh-huh. he would record practice sessions on a tape, and then he would just play those practice sessions in his room while he was playing video games. And we have, <laughs> we have uh, uncovered exclusive video audio of what those practices sound like, and here it is. It gets better. Here he comes, solo. <laughs> that's that's just really horrible. That is terrible. I mean, they almost got kicked out of the apartment while he was practicing. <laughs> I can see why. Now he now he his dream was to be an entrepreneur, and he went through a number of things. He was like selling earthworms. He was a paper boy. He wrote and sold a newsletter. <coughs> he. Uh, and he uh, he sold Christmas cards in the summer. I mean, I mean, a lot of these really Christmas cards he, in the summer. Yeah. So he, there was this good deal. This Christmas cards. They said, "Look, you, we're going to give you a really high profit if you sell Christmas cards." But he sold them in the summer. He went to all of his neighbors. Nobody wanted to buy a Christmas card in the summer. Then he started writing and selling a newsletter. He could and he couldn't sell any ads. Nobody's interested in it. But but in his book. The thing that that remembers the most was his first venture, and that was an earthworm farm. Now, <laughs> now you know. Well, you know, I, I do fishing, and I, I go to the store. I buy I buy little sure. box of earthworms. So there's some guy that grows these earthworms, I guess. Yeah. So his parents wanted to, you know, fuel his entrepreneurial action. So they paid thirty three dollars for a box of mud that allegedly contained 100 earthworms. Allegedly. Allegedly. He never really counted them. And then all he had to do was plant this mud in, in a larger container, and the earthworms would multiply. They'd be everywhere. They'd be everywhere. And, and with multiplying earthworms, he could basically take over the earthworm market. That the was his dream. The sky's the limit. The sky is the limit. Now... But he decided he wanted to innovate. He said, I'm, I, he said, I want to grow really big earthworms, so I'm going to give them super good nutrition. So he 
added raw eggs to the soil. He basically opened raw eggs, mixed it in with the soil to to give these earthworms really solid nutrition. You know, eggs are the best protein, so I don't yeah. see why that wouldn't work. That I mean, you'd think that'd be a great idea. So he was really excited. He went back to his earthworm farm. Two weeks later, all the earthworms were dead. Oops. <laughs> it was an absolute abject failure. <laughs> Now, he did have one venture that worked. He advertised in the back page of Boy's Life. I don't know if you remember Boy's I Life. I do. I used to get that. We were, not, We didn't have enough money to get that. We, I'd read it at the dentist office. Yeah, well, well that, yeah, or at the, at the newsstands. Yeah, hide, hide, hide behind the uh, magazines and read it. Right. And, uh, and on the back page, so he, he advertised these buttons that you could make, you know, that you, that you put on like buttons. I'm the greatest something or other. Oh yeah. And so he'd have like uh, buttons and he sold these buttons for a dollar and that, and he actually started making money at that. He was getting about a hundred orders a week from the, from this back page of boy's life. And so he was in his room making these buttons. And, and after about, a couple of months of that, he says, you know, I really don't like making buttons. <laughs> so then he, he hired his brothers to make buttons for him. There he you go. A little, he's, you know, he set up, uh, you know, sla- you know, child labor, uh, <laughs> a child labor room, a sweatshop. He set up a sweatshop in his, in his bedroom. But more and importantly, his brothers are stamping out these buttons every week. More importantly, and, he learned how to delegate. He, he learned how to delegate. Yeah. And, uh, and so, but then after actually a few months of that, he just said, the heck with this thing. And he just, he basically handed the whole business over to his brother. But it, but actually, of all of his ventures, that was a successful one. But, he, but his brother didn't pay him for it. He, had, he just had to give it away. Now, in high school, he took a Pascal class, which was, it's a programming language. Uh, and he sort of got interested in programming. And, uh, and, and he had access to a dial-up modem because back, back in the day, that's how you got on the internet with a dial-up modem. There, well, there really wasn't an internet. You, you would dial into these, um, message exchanges, BBSs, these, uh, message exchanges and, uh, 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 with the dial-up modem and he had access to a modem. And so his group of friends, they'd get together and they would, uh, contact BBSs, these, these message boards all over the country and they would get up and they just chat up a storm. And then they got this really great idea. <laughs> Which means it's not a great idea. <laughs> they said, why don't we connect our modem up to the phone, to the school phone system so we can make <laughs> no. calls out through the school phone system. So they hooked their modem up to the school phone system and made calls through the school school's phone system. And the, uh, and and, you know, and the well, boys being boys, right? The first phone, the you know, the first uh, the first thing they wanted to call was nine four six sexy. <laughs> now I don't know exactly what that what that phone number was, but but I could guess. Yeah, I think you and, could guess. And all of a sudden, the school system had all of these long distance phone calls going out to these uh, shady numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they did an investigation, and they traced it back to the computer guys who met every lunch. <laughs> because all the phone calls went out during their meeting, and they met every day at lunch. So it was not too hard to you know, track it down. It didn't have so to they, be. Yeah. The school system shut that down right away. Now, 
uh, Tony enro enrolled in Harvard in 1991 because his well, his parents wanted to, you know, wanted to wanted him to be academically successful. And and at that time, he just wasn't that serious of a student. He organized his classes so he'd have maximum free time. <laughs> you know, may maybe he put all of his classes on Monday and then he could just play the rest of the week. And uh, he didn't attend many classes his first year at Harvard. Uh, I, I guess he got he, he he didn't flunk out. But he really wasn't engaged in it mm -hmm. uh, because he just wasn't that interested in it. He was more interested in, in other pursuits. But he did get an opportunity. They had the Quincy House Grill. This is a student-run pizza store, pizza in, in the dorm. And, and, and students, being at Harvard, Harvard Business School, students would bid on the right to run the pizza shop, and then they could keep the profit. I mean, that really? was the idea. So it was like kind of a business deal. And normally, uh, people, when they are seniors, they will bid on it uh, and uh, and they can, you know, they can make money that year. But you see, uh, he bid on it when he was a junior. I mean, uh, right at the beginning of the junior year, this is out of sorts. And so he actually could have two years worth of profits, whereas the people who are seniors would only have one year worth of profits, mm -hmm. you see. So he could pay more. So he outbid all the seniors, you know, he, he ran through, a, he, he did a little analysis and he was, a, he would be able to pay more because he'd have two years of operating it. And he innovated it. He brought in a new pizza oven, brought in TVs. He made it extremely popular. And it turned out that his best customer was Alfred Lynn and Alfred Lynn would later become the CFO and the COO at Zappos. They became, they became very good friends there as he built the Quincy House grill business. Now, he was interested, Tony was interested in programming. He was in the, uh, he was in the, uh, in the programming team, he was on the Harvard programming team, computer science team, that entered the ACM International Collegiate Programming Contest in 1993. There were 39 teams that entered that contest. The team that he was on won number one in the country, number one out of 31. So he was quite good at, uh, at computer science and programming. He graduated from Harvard in 1995 with a degree in computer science. After college, he briefly worked for Oracle. He was there for about five months. But while he was there, he and a friend started a web design business. And they got some guy that would pay them $2,000 to make a website. So he said, well, shoot, we could make big bucks out of this. So he quit Oracle, and they started their web design business. But they... They couldn't get any more customers. I mean, it was it was a total bust, so it didn't go very far. But while they were doing their web design business, he got an idea. Because he had talked to a lot of people that had fledgling websites, and they all were short on cash, and he got this really clever idea of link exchange. You see, uh, if somebody has no money on their website, they can't afford to pay for paid advertising right they it's just too expensive so he so what he did he decided i'm gonna i'm gonna set up this website link exchange and and if suppose i have 50 websites that all join each of those websites pays me like just a small fee for organizing it and then those 50 sites share ads with each other so uh, so the person that joins it he will then display ads for the other 49 sites and they'll kind of rotate. And so all of a sudden by joining linked exchange, 
without really paying much money, you can have your website advertised in 50 other websites, free of charge. And that actually was an idea that, that became pretty popular. So, so he, um, I mean, it was so popular that they got nearly 50% of all websites they contacted to sign up. And, uh, it, uh, it, you know, and, and he was getting actually millions of ads exchanged through this system very quickly. Yahoo came to him because they, they saw, hey, this is not a bad idea. They offered to buy it for $25 million. I mean, it's just he and his friends. They said, yeah. you know, yeah. $25 million is, you know, in, in a year is pretty good. And they said, no, we're not going to take it. They turned it down. Well, it turned out that a guy from Sequoia Capital was on the uh, board of directors of Yahoo, and he got wind of linked exchange. So Sequoia Capital contacted Tony Shea, and they invested $3 million in linked exchange for a 20% stake. Now, he started linked exchange around 96, 97 around 1996. By 1998, he had 400,000 members Mm. and 5 million ads rotated daily. It was a huge success, and he was making money. He was making good money. In November of 1928, of 1998, sorry, Linked Exchange was sold to Microsoft for $265 million. Not, not a bad not deal. Not a bad deal, nope. Not a bad deal. And they only had to sell 20% uh, equity in the company to uh, to Sequoia. So Sequoia gave them the money to ramp up, ramp up their marketing, and they scaled their growth with that $3 million from Sequoia. So uh, Microsoft bought it, and uh, he had to stay at my – he had to – he had to w- w- stay with Linked Exchange for a year. That was the deal. Microsoft gave him forty million dollars of stock options if he would stay, and uh, plus he got his share of the uh, of the uh, you know the proceeds of the company. Then he had these additional stock options. Well, he decided you know for forty million dollars he'd hang around, hang around Microsoft, but he hated the atmosphere of a, of, a, of this corporate of this corporate o- operation. So as soon as that year was up. He took his $40 million in stock and he quit. And, uh, and actually all of his friends quit. And, uh, th- so they all, they were all, you know, steep in cash at that point with this sale to Microsoft. So they formed a venture capital group. They thought, okay, we are going to now fund other operations. So they formed a venture capital group and they were trying to come up with a name for it. And they ended up coming up with the name venture frogs now that's just about the dumbest name i can imagine but they said you know what well why we're called venture frogs is you come to us you want money money is green yeah frogs are green but they have nothing in common venture frogs i mean that was the idea so they they looked at uh, 20 different investments and one of the investments was called shoesite.com I mean, that's just a terrible name. It is Shoesite.com. <laughs> yeah. So in 1999, they made an, a small investment in Shoesite.com. And, and of course, then they thought, then we'll bring in other VCs, we'll form an investment group, and we'll scale them up. Well, this was their first big investment of Venture Frogs. 
and not a single VC was interested in shoesite.com. So they said, well, okay, we're going to have to put more money in this thing. So they put more money in shoesite.com. And then they said, you know, this, if we're putting all this money in it, we're, we're going to have to get involved with the management. They said, first of all, shoesite.com, you got to change your name. So they changed the name to Zappos, Z-A-P-P-O-S, Zappos. Now that is the Spanish word for shoes. The Spanish word for shoes is Zapatos. Zapatos is the Spanish word for shoes. So Zappos is sort of a play on that. Now, a year later, uh, Tony Shea began enamored with Zappos and he quit the VC being an active member of the VC became a back, a, a passive member of venture frogs. And he became CEO of Zappos in 2000. Now that year in the year 2000, they had $1.6 million in sales. And this is where Tony Shea created his magic. He learned how to make customers feel comfortable and secure with online shopping. He offered free shipping, free returns. If somebody would order a pair of shoes, they would send like three pairs of shoes of different sizes. You'd pick the one that would fit and then ship back the other two. And so they just made people comfortable. He also rethought the way that they would do, uh, they would measure their, their telemarketer. So if somebody would call in and have a problem with the shoes, see the other companies said, You've got to, you have to make so many con calls a day. If you're on the phone more than five minutes, you're going to be docked. And so, and so there's an incentive just to rush through and get it done. But uh, Tony said, he says, look, my goal, my goal is to deliver what he called wow service. Wow through service. Deliver wow through service. So his sales representatives were allowed to stay on the phone as long as it took to solve the problem. I mean, there was one case where uh, uh, one of the sales, some woman had ordered some shoes and it was the wrong size and she had to go to a dance that night and she called the Zappos person. person turns out this person was, they were, they were both in San Francisco and the Zappos sales rep took the shoes and drove them to her house wow. that day. That's, that's service. You can imagine that. I mean, and so they focused on delivering wow and and I'm telling you, sales just shot through the roof. He, he also said the only way to give to make customers happy is if you have happy employees. So he was one of the first companies to use this management principle called holacracy. H-O-L-A-C-R-A-C-Y, holacracy. There are no job titles. There's no org structure. It gives employees a chance to self-organize. So there's, there's zero structure. If anybody would ask Tony Shea uh, what his job was at Zappos, he said, well, I work, I work for Zappos. So there, and, so, uh, and so the employees would self-organize around whatever it would take to deliver wow to the customers. And, uh, uh, and this worked. He, he, was, he was known, this was known as one of the best places to work I mean, it sounds like it wouldn't work, yeah. but it did work. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that he does is, um, is uh, he would, uh, when he, they had hire somebody and they would, uh, and of, of the people that applied, they only accepted about 2% because everybody wanted to work there. 
and uh, and they'd only accept about two percent. And then after they would come in and go through orientation, Tony would come in and he'd say, "Okay, you, now you know what Zappos is all about. If any of you are not certain you want to be here, I'll give you two thousand dollars to leave today." Hmm. And so about 20% of the people that went through orientation would take the $2,000 and leave. And, and Tony said, that is a great investment because if they stayed and they weren't committed, they would have done more damage to the organization than it cost him $2,000 to get them out. And uh, the other thing that Tony did that was interesting, uh, he created this culture in Zappos that was so, uh, so extraordinary he said, you know what, I, I, I should share this. So he brought in competitors and took them through the shop and showed them how he operated because he wanted to make life better for everyone. This is one of the, one of the funny things that Tony did that was sort of uh, not intuitive because everybody's trying to steal his employees because they were so good. But what he did, he was so nice to his competitors that they – <laughs> they didn't have the heart to steal his employees in this counterintuitive gift to the tech community. He actually was able to help everyone get better. And he, and he didn't have this poaching problem. He was, uh, I, if you, he, he wrote a, he wrote a book delivering happiness, the path to profits, passion, and purpose. Happiness. Delivering happiness, the path, the profits, pap uh, profits, passion, and purpose. And uh, it's uh, it's an extraordinary description of his uh, of his of his uh, path as he became an entrepreneur. That's where I learned about his his worm farm, by the way. Now, by 2009, the revenues at Zappos had grown to one billion dollars. So remember, in 2000, they were at one point to 1.6 million by 2009 they were 1.2 billion now for zappos they actually did get uh, ultimately they got vcs once zappos started growing like gangbusters they did attract some of the high rollers there in silicon valley and they did get a lot of vc attraction so when he got a 1.2 billion dollar offer from amazon because Amazon doesn't like somebody else selling shoes online better than they do. <laughs> uh, his VCs made Tony sell. He didn't want to sell the company. He want, he was having too much fun on his own, but he had to sell the company for $1.2 billion. Now, Tony made $214 million out of that sale, plus whatever money he made from the investment through venture frogs. So I don't know exactly what it was, but it was at least $214 million. Now, in 2009, uh, 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 about the time that they sold the company, he, he decided he wanted to move to Las Vegas. Uh, he loved to play poker. Tony loved poker. He, he actually studied the mathematics of poker. He got interested. He studied the math of poker. And he said, look, you can look at every hand. There's a mathematical percentage. If you play the percentages, you'll always win. He said, poker is the one game. It's not that you don't have the house. Like if you play blackjack, the house has the odds. So that in the long run, the house will win. But in poker, you're playing against other people and the house just takes a small percentage. So in poker, if you know how to play the odds 
in the long run, you'll win, even if you might lose this hand. But if you keep playing in the long run, you will win because you don't have the house disadvantage. So he became really good at poker. And he wanted to create a, a place for his employees. His goal with this whole locker, he wanted all of his employees to live and work together. He wanted to create a Zappos community. So we went to this. I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas. They've got no. the strip there. And, and and just the regular town is a dump. I mean, the <laughs> strip doesn't invest in the town at all. So he went to one of the desolate areas of Las Vegas and bought property and started creating a Zappos home for the Zappos community where they would, where they would, uh, you know, they would live and they would work together. This was part of the holacracy kind of deal. And it turned out that that vision grew where he started then creating an environment for other local tech entrepreneurs where they could live and work. So he, he created kind of a vibrant tech community within Las Vegas, and he started redeveloping one of the areas of Las Vegas that needs serious redevelopment. Now, and he did that for 10 years, building that. Now, on August 24th of 2020, he retired. He stayed with Zappos uh, for, you know, basically 11 years after Amazon bought it, which is quite extraordinary. And I think that just shows the fact that Amazon let, let Tony uh, do what he wanted. And, uh, and he stepped down. And then he started buying multiple properties in Park City, Utah, to redevelop them. And he got into development business. Uh, on November 27, 2020, Tony died from injuries in a fire in a mm. house over Thanksgiving weekend. He was only 46. Mm. And he had a net worth of $846 million. And he's a guy who will sorely be missed because he brought real spark in entrepreneurism. Yep. Rest in peace, Tony Shea. Yep. All right, hang on. We're going to play the pop quiz in just a second. This is Tech Talk on Federal News Network. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. (laughs) 
Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just love these virtual audiences. Yeah. They don't cost us anything. We don't have anything. to clean up any popcorn at all. It's nope. Just, it's cleaning up the studio so easy. Now, this is not simply a radio show. No. You know, This is a classroom of the airways. And we have a pop quiz. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms once we open after the pandemic. And you'll also get an A-plus for today's show. Earlier in the show, I talked about Tony Shea. He's the venture capitalist who created Zappos, and he co-founded the Linked Exchange. And he was a great, great entrepreneurial manager. Uh, when he was young, though, he was not such a great entrepreneur. And his first venture was creating an earthworm farm. And he, his first earthworm farm, he killed all the earthworms. How did he kill them, and what did he do that killed all those earthworms? If you know the answer to today's question, well, now is your chance to show us just how smart you are. Pick up the phone, give us a call. Dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Standing next to a pile of oyster shells and turkey carcasses east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're ordering mucklucks online in Canada, Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else, may call us on the international line. Personally disinfected by moi using off-brand 14% alcohol wipes, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Okay. Okay, let's have the warning of the week. Mm-hmm. There are fake calls going out from Amazon and Apple and people are falling for them. Now they, uh, because it sounds so real. Now the, the, the one version of the scam, you get a call and a recorded message that says, this is Amazon. And it says, there's something wrong with your account. It could be that there's a suspicious purchase. It could be a lost package. It could be an order they can't fulfill. And they want you to click one to find out more. And then click two to find out more. And it, and they basically walk you through to where they're able to take over your Amazon account. Now, there's another recorded message that comes out. It says that there is Apple, I, that there's suspicious a, 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 um, activity on your Apple iCloud account. In fact, it says your account may have been breached. In both scenarios, they ask you to click one to speak with someone, how nice of them. Uh, or um, or they give you a phone number to call. Whatever you do, don't do anything with them. Just hang up. Amazon or Apple are not going to call you. Now, my uh, neighbor got called by the Apple guy, by the Apple one, and in the end, he gave them, they walked him through, and he ended up giving them control of his uh, Macintosh, and they started doing stuff on his Mac. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, uh, he realized, you know, I think I made a mistake. And he unplugged the Mac. 
And these guys kept calling him back and say, hey, you've got to finish this, you've got to finish that. So he spent about three days changing all the passwords to all of his bank accounts and everything because he didn't know what they'd gotten. So do not fall prey to these phone calls from Amazon or Apple. You'll regret it. Yep. So let's talk about memory lane. Uh, I started thinking about the old days with the Internet. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about sort of the history of, of uh, you know, of, uh, of, of the Windows machines. And I remember I got on Windows, I've got on the Internet for the first time with Windows 3.1. And if you remember, in the beginning, Microsoft didn't notice that there was an Internet. And they didn't build Internet into their, into their Windows operating system. Can you imagine that? They totally, somehow Bill Gates missed that missed that message and 3.1 was delivered without any access to the internet and so you had to basically patch something together and i bought and this brings back a memory internet in a box internet in a box from o'reilly and and it it, it included uh windsock program which uh, the windsock program had the tcp ip protocol stack that's the protocol to talk to the internet and uh, it also included a license to the Mosaic web browser because, of course, at that time there was no Internet Explorer, so you used the Mo Mosaic web browser. And it al also included like an email client. It included a, uh, a, search, a, a search program called Gopher. That, that back then, you'd, it was like, go for this, go for that. It called Gopher. And they called it FTV, file transfer protocol, so you could upload files. And then they even included access to InterServe's dial-up service. So I, and you got a, a copy of a book, The Whole Internet User's Guide. And I just loved that. I got on the internet for the first time with Windows 3.1. And every time I see that internet in a box, it brings back the fondest memories. All right. Doc, we have somebody who'd like to play the game. Let's go to line one. This is MC calling us from Silver Spring. MC, good morning, sir. Hello, MC. Are you there? Let's try this on another line. Let's do this again. Can you hear me? Yep, there we go. Uh, hey, how you doing, okay. Dr. Schertz? Go ahead and ask the question, please. Okay. Early in the show, I talked about Tony Shea, the, uh, the man who built Zappos, but his first venture was the earthworm farm. How did he kill his earthworms? Well, he combined, uh, he made a diet, a protein-rich diet, uh, combining eggs and earth and fed them that, thinking that that will help his uh, farm grow. And that is the and correct answer. That. Hang on a second, Very MC. Good. We're going to send you, you so right much. on back to uh, Andrew, uh, and he'll take your information. Doc, because of the time, I think we need to move into something else here, so let's just do this. Observations from oh, the Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yep. I think you're exactly right. We're going to just go here, observations from the bunker. There you Let's go. talk about four values of Zappos. Mm -hmm. I, I started looking at because I, you know, I read the book Delivering Happiness, and Zappos had ten core values, which are really interesting. And every employee had to take an oath when they when they joined the organization to uphold these core values. And of course, I talked about the first one: deliver wow through service. That was the first one. The other one was embrace and drive change. So just don't be happy with what you got. You got to make things happen. Create fun and a little weirdness. And they loved, they had parties all the time. Like when they went to uh, 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 Las Vegas, 
all the Zappos guys had a big parade through their little uh, work uh, through their little area in Las Vegas, led by a llama. That was the little weirdness. So they'd always he loved this weirdness thing. Be adventurous, open-minded, always pursue growth and learn. Build open and honest relationships with communication. They hated people that worked the system. Open and honest relationships. If you, if you would, I mean, the, the, the biggest sin at Zappos, take credit for what somebody else does. Yeah. Boom, you're out of there. Build positive team and family spirit. He, he wanted Zappos to be an extended family. He wanted you to live Zappos culture 24-7. And, and that's why he created this whole environment. Do more with less. Don't complain that you need more. Just, just get it done. Be passionate and determined. And the last one, which is very important, be humble. Don't be bragging about what all the stuff you've done. And they, they actually uh, did, a, um, did a, a major uh, you know, request to all the employees when they, when they assembled these core values and they got in hundreds of thoughts and they, and they worked as teams and they ended up boiling it down to these, these last 10. And I'm telling you, uh, Tony created a culture that was extraordinary in that area. Now what I want to do, I'd like to get, I think we've got maybe one minute. What do uh, we have, Less Jim? than that, like 40 seconds. 40 seconds. I may not be able, I don't think I have time to get to the uh, border gateway protocol because I have to year. explain how that works. But I can, I do have time to talk about the most downloaded apps on the iPhone. Uh, okay, this is me of no surprise. The number one app downloaded in 2020 to the iPhone, drum roll, well Zoom. Done. Zoom yep. cloud meetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you could have guessed that, Jim. I could even I could have guessed that. That's right. The second most downloaded app. This surprised me. TikTok. You know the government's trying to kill them. Yeah. I'm thinking the more I'm thinking the more the more the government tries to kill them, the uh, the, the the more demand there is. Doesn't surprise the, me. Uh, the third app was Disney Plus. Disney came out, and then the rest of them were the same cast of characters we always have: YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Messenger, Gmail, and the last one was Cash App, and that replaced Venmo. That's like a, a cash transfer thing. The previous year, Venmo had that spot. So, those are the those are the three top apps, and um, we uh, we we did that quite well. The um, and of course. I do have a moment to talk about HP moving to Silicon Valley. No, you Valley. don't. We're out of time, Doc. we got to go. We'll see you next week. Okay, very good. Okay. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.